Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. <laughs> if you have not already seen, my charity fundraiser is still ongoing. Head on over to my website, JanetMcMorty.com. That's M-C-M or die.com backslash store. And you can take a look at all the incredible merchandise for sale and the five wonderful charities that I'm supporting with 100% of your proceeds going towards these charities. If you don't want merch, totally fine. Lives are... We have cluttered lives these days. Why make it more cluttered? You can donate and all of the money you donate will be going towards these charities and you will be entered to win a photo shoot with Studio Aviva. That's Farah from Studio Aviva. She's incredible. She took all the photos that you'll see on my social media where I'm showcasing all of the merch. She's amazing. You don't have to be a Toronto actor to get a photo shoot with her. She shoots people in Toronto, Vancouver, and Los Angeles, and she's incredibly talented. All right, let's get to this week's episode. My guest this week is Cole Anson. Cole is a linguist turned actor. She is awesome. And you'll see in this episode how, if you talk science to me, uh, you are my people. You are my person. She said, we started talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and she knew exactly what I was talking about. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled. So she did a degree in linguistics and has done a lot of teaching in Montessori. She's also a like, world traveler. She has lived pretty much everywhere. And now she's focused on a career in acting. She also is still teaching uh, as well. Gotta have these side hustles here, my friends. You gotta. She, again, has this incredible life story and a wonderfully juicy scientific brain. Please enjoy the incredibly talented Cole Anson. located in the world? I am currently in Ohio, and I am leaving Ohio very soon. I'm relocating to the southeast. I'm moving to Atlanta in one in less than one month, and it's about to be very exciting, I think, because one thing for me that has been a real game changer in my acting career has been to treat it more and more like a business. So... I keep track of my bookings, I keep track of my auditions, any callbacks, I have my spreadsheets, and it's all color-coded, and it's all laid out. So I'm accustomed to, you know, the amount of auditions and whatnot that cross my desk now, and I'm just really excited to be in a larger market where I believe that the types of auditions that I'm after will be more frequent. So... Mm. Yeah. You know, it's it's an exciting time. I uh I've been here longer than I ever expected to be here. I left Ohio many years ago, lived in lots of cool places and then ended up here again thanks to the pandemic and mm. I'm ready to move on. <laughs> so It's funny, I you hear so much about Atlanta and the film industry there mm-hmm. just exploding over the last what would you say maybe like 2 to 5 years? I believe so. And they do say that with Cleveland, I was just at a Greater Cleveland Film Commission event on Friday afternoon. Um, I guess that was days ago now. I can't believe how time's flying. Uh, and they, they, they would do say occasionally that Cleveland now 
is where Atlanta was like 10 years ago. So everyone's working really hard to bring more business to this area. Pittsburgh already has quite a bit. I know that there's a bill right now up for expanding the Cleveland tax incentive. So they're very hopeful and people are working very, very hard to bring more work to this area, more jobs for everybody, crew, actors, everybody. But I'm not interested in being in this area in my life. So I don't see why I would stick around for that. You know what I mean? I had one person say, why are you moving to Atlanta so early in your career? And it's like, well, I am a person (laughs) outside of acting, and I don't actively want to be here. My family's here. I had a beautiful childhood here. I don't want to live here, and I never expected to live here again. So it's time to go someplace where I would be happy being regardless of what's going on in my career. Mm-hmm. So I think that is <laughs> right. Yes. And I think we forget that because like you were saying to treat it like a business. Yeah. You have to make some of the sacrifices for business, but I think like where you live and where you put down roots, whether they're permanent or I'm just going to be here for a little bit. I don't think you can sacrifice that. I personally, people will disagree with us, but I am of the same. I live about an hour and a half to two hours outside of Toronto, like a major film center. Mm. And I will, I will never move into Toronto because I don't want to live there. The end. Well, then there you yeah. go. And would you not agree that us being happy in our lives is the thing that fuels our creative muscle and creates all of our acting magic. I mean, an unhappy person can't possibly create their best work, in my opinion, personally. I'm not, I'm not about that starving artist life. I'm not about that, um, suffering. And if that works for somebody, great. But for me personally, I can't do good work if I'm unhappy. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And I think if we wanted to get sciency about it, there's this like hierarchy of needs in our life, right? And if you yes. don't have the base needs, the you don't have the top of the pyramid, which is creativity. That's the first thing to go and the last thing to get back. So you got to get your baseline <laughs> level of, you know, needs that you need. And the number one thing is like that safety and security. And where do you get that? home yeah yeah good old maslow yes there we are learned that in like 10th (laughs) grade (laughs) yeah but it's so true it's so true get all your stuff sorted out and then you can really flourish with the little tippy top of the pyramid and that's fulfillment that's that's what it's about if you can you know if you can do it i don't want to speak solely from my place of privilege. I know a lot of people are coming from all kinds of different places, but um, coming from wherever any of us are at, I would say it's all a building process. Tell me your story. How did you get to, how did you get to now Ohio? How are you going to go to Atlanta? You mentioned lots of other places you've lived. Yeah. Tell me your story. So, I was born and raised in Northeast Ohio, right by Lake Erie, and I grew up in Montessori education, which, are you familiar with Montessori? I am a little bit, yeah. But yeah, tell me more. It's very cool. It is a non-traditional school system that was started by Dr. Maria Montessori quite a while ago, and it originated in Italy in the slums, 
for children who had absolutely nothing. And she observed children who were learning and not learning so well because of the traditional system. I mean, a lot of people sit at a desk and look at a board and sit there like this. And that wasn't so conducive to learning. And she created all these materials and all these other theories about how to teach children and how to grow a person as opposed to educating a pupil. And so I grew up in Montessori education, loved school, loved um, that I got to go to school with international students. When I was in middle school and high school, we had kids from Mexico, Australia. After I was gone, there were kids from Germany, from Korea, lots of really cool places. And it just opened my eyes to the rest of the world. And I started taking Spanish in school, like so many others, and I loved it. I didn't love it initially. I didn't get it. I didn't understand what conjugation was. I didn't understand the purpose of it. And then through connecting with other people, I started to piece it together. And it hit me one day what grammar was. And I started learning it and really got into it and really got into language. By the time I went to college, I knew I wanted to live abroad and study abroad and be abroad. I didn't know where. I had a lot of interests, and I ended up studying linguistics, which is the science of language. I had no idea what that was. I went to school initially for communications because I thought that had something to do with communicating, and it turns out that communication is much more like media and, I don't know, not what I thought it was. So mm. I switched to linguistics and studied things that I use today, even. I, I was explaining morphology to a student before this. Um, morphology, syntax, phonology, phonetics, all that kind of thing. Plus the really interesting stuff, how language functions in society, sociolinguistics, language and gender. That was the best class at university. So long story short, got really into language. I started teaching English. I started teaching Spanish. And after I graduated, I had been studying... <laughs> A lot of linguists, a lot of linguistic students, like we didn't study foreign language as part of our degree necessarily, but like many people study languages just because they love them. So by the time I graduated, I had formally studied Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, Japanese, and Russian. Not that I maintained any of those. I maintained Spanish, Portuguese, and I had been studying Russian. And... um I knew somebody from Russia, and she said, why don't you go work at the school where I used to study? And she got me the job. And so when I graduated, I went to Moscow, and I taught English there for a year and came back. And I i mean, it, my, my education and life, I'm just like rambling at this point. My education and life was always punctuated with travel. I lived in Scotland a couple times. I lived in England. I lived in France briefly, lived in Brazil for a little bit which is where the Portuguese came from. Um, so <laughs> when I came back from Russia and then back from grad school the first time, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like I had a purpose or a connection. So I just kept studying. I would work teaching and then I would study. And so in between, this is where the universe stepped in. In between grad school endeavors, I was back in Ohio 
for the first time in a very long time. I was grieving the loss of my grandmother. I was exhausted from endless travel and visas. And wonderful as all that was, I was just depleted, I guess. And I was here in Ohio, and the principal of my former Montessori school reached out to me out of the blue and said, hey, I heard you're in town for a little bit. We need this tutor. We need somebody to teach this program called Orton Gillingham to our dis- our students with dyslexia and language-related learning differences. And I was like, I, I have this background in language and stuff, but like, I don't know how to teach somebody how to read. It's like not actually that straightforward at all. And she said, it's fine. We're going to send you to get trained. So I said, well, all right. And I did that. And it was amazing. It was a 30-hour course in Orton-Gillingham that was the culmination of everything language-related I had ever been taught or been teaching. It was amazing. It, I mean, yeah, (laughs) it was just like, there were so many possibilities, not only for working with children, I see possibilities for adapting it for non-native English speakers who are learning English. I see it. Um, you could adapt it for re-education, for incarcerated persons, like endless, endless possibility in this. So when I got done with that, I said, right, I should get certified. And I almost didn't. But again, people were like, no, you really ought to get certified. And I was like, oh, fine. So I did that, went back to Scotland, was doing grad school um, again. And In December of 2019, right before everything shut down, this tutoring company reached out. Again, the universe stepped in. This is right after I started doing extra work because I really needed a job. And I lived right by the BBC in Glasgow. So I had done a little extra work, was kind of interested in acting just sort of because it was whimsical, not for anything else. And I got this opportunity to tutor Orton Gillingham online. And it's really, it's multi-sensory. It's designed for in-person. But I thought, okay, well, it pays well. I can do it from anywhere. I guess I'll just do my best to adapt it. And I did, and I had a handful of lessons, and then everything shut down. But I had a job. And it was like, thank you. Thank you for bringing me that. It was just like one thing after the other, just just, I mean, you know, the kids were at home and parents were trying to teach their children and realized, my goodness, my child really needs help. And so all of a sudden I had a lot of business. I kind of felt like a carpetbagger during like the Civil War because I was like, this is a horrible, horrible time for literally everyone in the whole world. And yet I'm actually doing really well in business because I'm able to work with these kids. So I swore that If I was still interested in potentially pursuing acting after everything started to reopen, I would maybe take some classes. And I watched The Queen's Gambit and became obsessed and thought, I could do this. And so when everything opened up, I started training. That was a lot. (laughs) No, it's not. It's it's fascinating. I think... I have so many comments, just I like so many things just resonated so much with me, like about the just like continuously learning and continuously studying. But also, I love that you said, like the background work and the acting was whimsical for you. Oh, yeah, I I've never heard that. And that is the most delightful, true (laughs) description of 
acting for me. I totally agree. What? Okay, so you're in Scotland doing background mm-hmm. work. Was that like the thick of the pandemic when things all started with your online business? What brought you back to Ohio? So that was in, I started doing background in like October and November in Glasgow. And it was in December, the tutoring company reached out. And then it was the following February when all of a sudden everything shut down. Yeah. So when I started doing the background work, I just needed money. I had this, I'm a very optimistic individual, and I was like, well, I've been a great server in the past, so when I go to Scotland, I will be able to get a cafe job very easily. Well, guess what? It wasn't that easy. <laughs> if you don't know somebody, you know, it's extra paperwork for businesses to have to do. Mm. They're like, ugh, we could just hire somebody who's a European citizen, and it'll be fine. Um, so I ended up getting a job at a, a wonderful cafe that was through somebody I knew. So mm. thank you. But um, what was al- along the same vein of it being just sort of whimsical and a fun idea and sort of sort of something to tickle your fancy, you know, with the with the potential of like, what if I became an actor? Right? Like, yeah, right. Um, it was on the third time doing background. Before then, it was the first time was horrible. It was an overnight shoot. And there was no heat. It was really bad. But I was already scheduled for the second one several days later on a different project. So I was like, fine, I'll do this next one. That was great. And then the third one came up and it was really fun. It was for a program called Scott Squad, which is just a largely improv <laughs> show through the BBC, lots of episodes. I've never watched. I never saw what episodes it was in. But when I left that day, my whole body was vibrating. I was just filled with this energy. And I had this sort of sparkly, I don't know, vibe leaving. And I was like, what if, what if I found out about this? And I, I, that day on my way home, I looked up where, I think it's the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland is where they train actors. And I, I wandered over there and I asked for information and they gave me their pamphlets and it was like, okay, four years, maybe it was three. It was like three or four years of study. And I was like, "Ah, I'm doing so much study already. I don't think I could do anymore. And, and then I went away and I was like, well, I'm still interested in this, but how am I going to find out about this? And so what happened, I was on my way to work at that cafe And it's a good thing I didn't get hired at the other places, actually, because I was walking to work and I thought, how am I going to find out about this acting thing? Because I kind of Googled it and there was so much information I didn't even know what to do or how to start. And I would normally work the floor at the cafe during lunch. But that day I just so happened to be on the espresso machine, one of like three or four times ever I was ever on the machine. It was that day. And... This man came in who I'd seen previously, and he would normally just go straight back, talk to the cook, and leave. Well, because I was pulling espresso that day, I was the one that handed him his coffee. And I overheard him say, oh, yeah, I just came back up from London shooting a film. And I thought, oh. So when I handed him his coffee, I said, excuse me, are you an actor? He's like, yeah. You interested? And I was like, maybe. Maybe. 
And so we went to coffee a couple days later and he just sat me down and said, right, what are all your questions? He answered all my questions. He made a list for me. The last three items of which were like, I have it somewhere. It's like, don't give up or never give up, never give up. Don't let anyone steal your dream. His name is Scott Peden. And Scott, I recently reconnected with him. With Scott writing that for me, that's what got me through the pandemic thinking, if I'm going to potentially look into this nebulous thing that seems absurd and very whimsical, I had that pinned up on my board, the never give up, never give up. And it just... It just seems like if you look, if you zoom out and you look at your life, specifically for those of us coming later, right? Coming to this who didn't know as a small child, like, this is what I'm going to do and pursue it outright. I feel like if you, for other actors or other people starting out or potentially interested in acting, to be able to zoom out on their life and say, right, what is already working in my life that will lend itself to transitioning into an acting career. Because if you look at my life, I had already been set up for this, weirdly. I I had gotten all of my special skills, all those language things and accents and travel experience and just like random things I did in college, just dancing and all of the things. It's like you all of and I'm not that old. Imagine people who are twice my age, like all the things that they would have done in that time that they can then carry over to roles. It's like taking stock of what we already have and then saying, right, well, I, I already had a remote job. It came to me and I didn't even seek out that subject that came to me also. And then Scott came to me. And then, you know, when it came time to find training, the place that I initially found was just online and it wasn't ideal, but they couldn't take me at that time. So then I ended up at the studio I ended up at, which was amazing. So it's like a, it's a perfect way of standing back and looking at the things that happen. And when they don't work out, like those, all those jobs I was trying to get at the other cafes and bars in Glasgow, those didn't work out, but I ended up at the place where I got the information I needed it's like being able to stand back and take stock and have perspective always. You know what I mean? So much of this I love. I love this actor, Scott, because there are so many instances, personally and from others that I've talked to, who have reached out to someone and said, I'm interested in acting, and that someone went, ha! Good luck. Right? Because, or said it in a nicer way, but that was the underlying thought process, right? You know, sometimes said in a, you know, trying to, you know, protect you, trying to keep you safe, trying to keep you to be realistic and stuff like that. But here is this person who came to you, the universe came to you and said, cool. Yeah. Here's how you do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. And I, also love what you said about using the life experience in your acting as a positive, because I'm guilty of this. I felt this this weekend of that feeling of I am starting this later in life and I'm behind. 
I need to catch up because I didn't go through four years of study, right? I studied other stuff, but there's this feeling of needing to catch up. But I love the positive flip, the optimistic flip you just said, that everything that we've been doing since then can be used in acting. I oh, love yeah. that so much. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad that was timely for you to hear. I just, I, I used to feel that way too. Like, oh God, like the I'm not enough thing, but I've been working so hard and we all have ups and downs and you've ca- caught me on a really good up. So <laughs> I'm going to ride that. But um, no, seriously, it seriously comes and goes in waves, doesn't it? Um, but understanding that the whole basis of being an actor is being a person with experiences and um, being as relatable to other people as vulnerable. And these buzzwords are kind of annoying to me, but, you know, vulnerable. It's like being the job of being an actor is, in my opinion, so far as I've developed it, is to be I mean, they expect you to be vulnerable like you were by yourself, uh, but in front of other people. And that's terribly challenging. And I feel like just having every life experience that we've had previously to rely on and say, no, I do have ammunition in my whatever you store ammunition in. I don't even know. In your in your clip. Clip? Arsenal? <laughs> arsenal. Arsenal. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yes, your arsenal. Um, that way we can – I just try and remember those things. Things, remember, like, I have studied all these things. I've met a million people. I've done so many different things. I've tried so many different things. I have all of that to rely upon. Now I can focus on relaxing. Relaxing my body, relaxing my mind, silencing the chatter in my mind, and just going for it. So tell me more about kind of current life situation for you. How are you, are you balancing your career with, are you still teaching? Are you fully acting? What does life look like now? So looking in, looking at your wonderful list of questions before this interview, um, and thinking about, cause there was one question you had about advice to somebody who is either transitioning into an act, an acting career or maybe transitioning careers to begin with. And I was really thinking about it. I, I'm speaking from a very privileged place as an actor because I already have a remote job. And years ago, I really don't feel like there were as many remote jobs. And now there are so many with the digital nomad thing. If there were as many remote jobs now, wait, if as as many remote remote jobs as there are now, if there had been that like maybe five years ago, I would be in like Tahiti right now doing something remote but that didn't happen for me which is fine but um i just think there are so many remote jobs and what i would do if i didn't have a really well-paying um pretty fulfilling if i'm being honest remote job i would get my butt on that train if i were currently working a nine to five or just a full-time I would see, I would probably stick it out as long as possible, as long as I could, as long as it wasn't infringing upon me building my acting career. I feel like if you look at it like scales, 
So like for me right now, my life is, it's very, very easy for me to go to class, go and tape auditions at home. I work from home. You know, I, I have it easy for somebody who doesn't, I would stick to what you have, assuming it's a de- something, whatever you have is stable. I would stick to whatever is established as long as possible. And then I would transition to something remote. I have a friend who has had a couple of remote, full-time, but remote jobs, and she's able to audition because um, she works mainly from home. I think she has to go in the office maybe once a week. Not bad. Um, and then ultimately, if you can, again, rely on what you know. I happen to teach a certified subject, so I the pay is higher than it would be if I was just teaching a language. Um, but I think that we can really build our business. So if you're interested in building something apart from acting, or at least to keep you yourself going while you're really getting started with acting, like if I didn't say I didn't have the certified program and I wanted to teach one of the languages I speak, Spanish is the best one because I know the grammar the best. Say I wanted to teach Spanish. I would use the tutoring program or platform as a springboard. There are so many online tutoring platforms and people are so interested in remote learning now because they don't want to drive places. They don't want to waste time driving someplace. Um, and I would build build something from there. There are so many resources online and one resource that I really wanted to remember to say was Jen Sincero's books. Have you read anything by her, Janet? No, I haven't. Jen Sincero wrote a book called You Are a Badass. And she has several iterations of that. But You Are a Badass has been one of the most important books in my professional development. Because she's the one who said... um you need to ask for a raise. You need to believe in yourself and put yourself out there and value yourself and value your business and take risks and be big and bold, even though your subconscious mind might be screaming. Like, you know, she's the one who who gave me the gumption to ask for that raise. I never would have asked for a raise. You kidding me? But I got it. Not immediately, but I got it. It's like, and I I really, I'm just absolutely rambling at you at this point. But I feel like whatever you're doing on the side of acting, obviously, not obviously, but I would hazard a guess that most people who are getting into acting would really love to just act and do jobs that are talent related. Um... But for most people, myself included, having something else to allow you the creative freedom to enjoy that and not need the job, um, it's kind of important to have something else going. Not only for money and like finances, but also to have another uh, thing to direct your, in- your energy at. Because I feel like if you are so focused on this building this one thing and I've been there where you're like I'm working so hard on my acting career you're like blocking things from coming to you it's like let it go just let it be um and divert your energy that's when you get that booking that's when you get that audition is when you're distracted and so having this other thing on the side 
as well, having something that you need to be brave with. I'm, I'm hoping I'm making sense. <laughs> something that you need, that you need to be brave with, brave and bold. Say you're deciding to build a side hustle, um, a remote side hustle to support yourself while you're also growing your acting business. Um, I think that there can be parallels there between being brave and bold and acting and being brave and bold in building your business, be it uh, e-commerce with Greta Van Reel is a really good e-commerce guru for anybody who is interested in a business that will maybe one day take care of itself. <laughs> um, but anyways, for me, I haven't been building so much with my teaching career because it was already so smooth when I got into acting and that started to pick up more and more and more and more. I would say the one thing that I've consistently built in my teaching career has been good relationships with the families. It's so fulfilling to know these mainly children, a few teenagers and one adult, a former professional athlete who's older than me and is wonderful and offers a very different perspective from my eight-year-old. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I would say if you are going to teach specifically, especially teaching online and especially, that's one thing I would say for somebody who wants to teach online as a tutor or, you know, maybe you are interested in Norton Gillingham. It pays very well, especially if you get certified and build it and have really earn it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm at right now because I've built it that way. And I'm proud of myself for that. I was telling my partner yesterday, I'm so, I'm proud of myself. For the first time, this is something that acting's brought me. For the first time in my life, I feel like I've worked really hard for something and I haven't sabotaged it with my own self-doubt to the point where it's not taking flight. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I feel like I found my thing. And I, I'm wondering if other people also may have had a similar experience where like everything they did before or certain things they did before were not quite the right fit. And they kind of sabotaged other dreams. But then when they arrived at acting, something clicked into place and they're like, right, now I can, now I can work for me and work for a greater purpose, like storytelling, worldwide storytelling. Cause that's the one thing about teaching, very fulfilling to connect with one person one on one or a classroom even. But you only reach those people and you only reach the people that they go on to teach whatever you taught them to. Did I just say that right? <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You reach, you reach, you deeply connect with, you have the potential to deeply connect with some individuals. Whereas with acting, especially with TV and film, which gets translated and dubbed and distributed worldwide, you're able to tell stories and teach. Maybe not as in such an intimate setting, but you're able to teach widely. And I think that that's important. Do you think that click of acting for you if that had happened to you when you were like a kid or a teenager or younger 
Like, do you think that like spark and realization would have happened? Or do you think a lot of it had to do with the life experiences that you had leading up to the, that developed the click? Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I do. I do. And I would say that I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to tell stories. But my childhood best friend and I, she was the one who taught me how to write stories. And we would write stories in the afternoons. And um, <laughs> it took me until very recently to realize that when we would write stories together, we were each writing our own individual one. But so much more got told orally than got written down. So it's like we'd write for a little bit, and then we would explain what was going on to each other just by talking it out. And that was so much fun. And that was, it was like this collaborative because she would say, oh, well, and this, and oh, well, this. And it's like this back and forth. It was collaborative storytelling masked as writing. And so when I went and studied creative writing, it occurred to me that this was a very solitary venture and that I didn't know if I was ready. I think one day I will be. I really do. But I'm not there to that level of solitary creativity, I guess. I want to collaborate with other people. And I think that better projects come out of more brains and hearts who are in on the creative process. So I think that having gone through all those years of study and travel and work and anguish, I mean, can we talk about the anguish of not knowing what you want? It's like not, it's like for me, there were two massive aspects of anguish in my life. One was not knowing what on earth I wanted to do with my life. And the other was not having a life partner. So when I met him, I mean, granted, it takes a while to build a relationship, but where I'm at right now, in a really good place in my relationship, in a really good place in my careers, I feel like I'm the most stable and have the most clarity for that click to arrive. And that's not to say that other people require a life partner to reach that point. But I think for me, I don't know where I'd be without him in my acting career because he is my cheerleader. He's there and he'll give me, he'll give me honest feedback if he thinks something needs to be changed or improved if I ask. But um, it's sort of this being a second act. It's a culmination of everything that came before. And I wouldn't be the actor or the creator or the teacher or the partner that I am without everything that came before. So I almost wish that I, <laughs> I almost wish I was a little bit older. Like, I th I don't know that I looked a little older. I'm in a weird, I'm in a, well, I'm in a weird thing right now where I don't feel like a college student, but I end up going out for get, auditioning for much, much younger roles. And it's like, I don't feel like that at all. And I don't know, I might be able to come across that way, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think I read like I'm 20 or 22 I think it's a it's a weird time. There's I, I, my acting coach was actually talking about this last week about how there's kind of weird times in an actor's career. These blurry times when you don't really 
book much, but you go out for a lot because nobody really knows what to do with you. And one of them is the time between kid and teenager when you're in that like weird, like prepubertal phase. And the other time is like 20 something, 30 something females usually, right? And you're kind of like, yeah, you're, yeah, right? And we are the majority in the, I mean, I'm pushing 40 now, but, um, which means now I'm heading into the, like the, I'm like, I I agree with you. I am happy that I'm going out for older roles now because there's less and less of us. So yeah, it's, but it's a weird phase, right? Because you're kind of like, not only are you feeling, what do I want to do with my life? But you're all, the industry is also like, what do we want to do with you? And you're like, cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Which is where, which is where the branding comes in. I know that certain people in the industry don't like that word. I think it's a brilliant word for, I don't know how you feel about branding, but essentially just packaging, packaging your product. If we're going to remove the emotional aspect of building this creative career as artists and saying, okay, I have a product. I'm a business owner. I have a product. These are the attributes of this product. This is how other people view this product. And this is how I'm going to package it. And this is how I'm going to sell it. And this is what this product can do for you. And knowing what this product can't do for you. <laughs> and I just, again, I go out for for early 20s because of my pictures. But, and on camera, sometimes I can look young, but it's like, I don't, I don't think I, I don't know. I don't know. Your essence, your essence isn't that? Not to me. Yeah. Other people may see it. Other people Mm -hmm. might see like a young ingenue type of thing, but, um, and maybe, maybe I could do it. Maybe if the role was written a certain way or I could tap into that innocence, but I'm also not that concerned about fitting into a box i'm also kind of like well i am what i am Mm -hmm. and i am who i am and i i'm gonna bring myself to the rules now i'm not gonna try and either put on a mask or squish myself into something i'm gonna give my take and i'm gonna have a lot of fun with the audition um i work with a business coach a couple really but one in particular And the, you know, they both just really have helped me see, like, this is what you are. This is how others view you and doing a lot of data driven exercises to find out what other people think, you know, the difference between looking trustworthy and looking potentially a little bit manipulative or deceptive, regardless of what we're actually like. You know, I said to my mom, I'm getting answers here that say I'm like maybe a little untrustworthy or deceptive. And she's like, what? You would never tell somebody a secret. I'm like, I know. But if I don't look like that, then I need to play up what people are seeing. So I think that's I think that's really challenging for a lot of actors to lean into what other people might think. So I have my main adjectives on the wall over here. And one of my coaches said, write your essence descriptors on the wall and glance at that before every audition to remind yourself that 
if you do absolutely nothing, this is what people will see. So they're there. And I remind myself, you know, and another a wonderful actor named Vince Pisani, who's Atlanta-based, he came and did a workshop in Ohio. And one thing that Vince said was like, all right, you've got your adjectives. Now, in his opinion, you own the full range of that adjective. So he is the example of intelligent. If one of your essence descriptors is intelligent or smart, you could play, you could be the expert, you could be the smartest person in the room who everyone defers to, or you could be a total smartass. You could be this arrogant jerk and you just can just dial, dial up bits depending on the role in his opinion. And I've found that to be interesting to, to play around with. Have you heard that before? No, but it makes complete sense, right? Like it's the, oh, and I'm blanking on the word, but like how there's like two sides to every adjective, right? Yeah. Like, like you were saying, um, like exactly there's, it's like, like literally two face, like the twins, if you go like spiritually about, yeah. yeah, and intelligent to one person, if you were to say, you know, Janet is intelligent, person A goes, oh, awesome. Person B goes, ugh. Yeah. Right? So it, that's that's really interesting and really, I think, exciting as an actor, right? Because, like you were saying, your essence is always there, but if but there's so much more to a descriptor word, and that's exciting. It is. It is exciting. And I saw um, the other day I was watching a webinar and – um, I had kind of wondered about this. Maybe you can weigh in. She was talking about, um, it was like a Venn diagram, but with three circles. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking, like three interlinking yeah, yeah. circles. She was talking about essentially establishing your, your brand, your essence, your, your package, right? Like your product, it, sort of adding all that, those descriptors to your product. Um, she, I think it was one circle was like, what other people view you as and one part was what you view yourself as and then the third one I don't I'd have to I'd have to look but it was like what I'm getting at is I hadn't really thought of what I like and how Mm -hmm. that factored in like I know what I would love to play but I didn't really know until I was watching this and listening to her talk about it where what you like factors in to how you market yourself. So Mm. I'm curious how that would work for somebody whose interests lie very far outside of what they want, what they are perceived as. Like, Mm -hmm. luckily for me, I get a lot of feedback about period pieces. Like you could be in a period piece. It's like, great, because I love period pieces. (laughs) I love history and I love research and all of those things go into researching period roles and love it. Love it. So I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard, but what if I didn't, what if I looked like the most contemporary American girl possible and I wanted to play international, you know, spies and like just interesting characters that didn't look 
wouldn't be perceived anything like what I look like. Just say Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure how that would work. So do you do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think it's tricky because I think there's I think you do have to play to what is your brand, play to what you look like and play to what's booking in your city. And I'm going to use a personal example. Well, actually, I should back up because I think I think the majority of advice would be you know, maybe change the perspective of what you like a little bit or find what in a period piece you like as a person. Like you don't need to like, like the history of it all, but what intrinsic to a period piece that still exists in contemporary world do you really, do you love, right? Finding that kind of deep down, like, yeah, I don't, it's like, yeah, I don't like this character. Ooh, but I like that she's, you know, snarky right and so how can i as a contemporary <laughs> actor bring in my bring in snarkiness if you kind of catch my drift lean into that maggie smith well yeah, right? yeah but i think there has to be that balance and i'm going to use my personal headshots as an example my first headshot is the most beautiful stunning photo of me i've ever seen in my entire life i look like i'm straight out of dynasty i've got big hair gorgeous lipstick i'm like sex pot and i booked nothing because i live near toronto that doesn't film anything remotely like what is dynasty or la or glamazon we are gritty hbo handmaid's tale but i'm like I need to make myself go towards what we film here because that's what we film here. If I wanted to be that Glamazon, I'd need to move to LA or Vancouver because that's what they do. They shoot Riverdale. They shoot beautiful human beings there. Well, and that goes back to business. Well, it does, (laughs) right? So, And so that was a big, like my most recent headshots that I just took last week, there are ones in there where I have no makeup and no hair done. And I look at them and I go, oh, but that is what we do here. And is also like me as an essence is a bit more kind of like that. So I'm trying to figure out like, even though there, even though I would love to be a lead in a Marvel film, that's not where I derive my essence and confidence from. And so I'm trying to find what in my personality links to each one of these headshots, even though they're a bit more character-y, where, so I can have confidence coming into a room, defending myself as being the best choice for this role because of the headshot that you saw. Mm. I don't book period pieces. I don't think I'm like, I, I look more, a bit more contemporary athletic, mm. but I'd love to we film a lot here. So I'm trying to figure out what in my personality can I pull from to enjoy the period piece auditions? You know, cause there's something there, right? There's something there that is in the essence of this audition that I have in the essence of myself. And I just don't know what that is yet. 
that I enjoy. So it's like trying to figure that out. I think it's that exploration of, of all the different facets of, of who we are. And I think it takes time and it's, but yeah, it's finding the joy in and enjoyment and confidence in everything. Because there's a little bit of us in every single character and every single genre. But yeah, it's just trying to find that. But then also being realistic. Well, and being honest. Being honest yeah. with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's been, I don't know about you, but that's been a challenge for me is separating myself from the actual character and not mm. judging them. Yeah. And yeah. that... I think comes from, I think judgment of a character comes from insecurity and thinking like, well, somebody's, whatever you think might be negative about the character, thinking, well, somebody's going to think that I'm like that. And it's like, yeah, we can't, we can't have that. We cannot no. have that. And yeah. so that's something that I work on. Um, but like you were saying, finding what works for you in each mm-hmm. character, finding the joy. One thing that one of my coaches, says to do is do what's fun in an audition what would make this audition fun for you to tape and that has been the most freeing thing the most freeing question that i've been able to ask in any audition is what would make it fun and if you're having fun it even and he plays villains mainly he plays really 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 bad guys but he's still able to who are nothing like him he's lovely but to to find how to make it fun mm-hmm. it can be that's that could be the difference you know living in it playing in it and not trying to fit yourself into it and not judging ourselves as well like well i i i don't know about you but i struggle with that a little bit like well i'm really not this person so yeah. you know it's like separating that and being like well today i'm this person the biggest thing that I realized from talking to casting directors was f- having fun and making the character your own and how you find fun is exactly what they want to see. And that's what stands out. There will be people left, right and center who are like, this is how you should play the character. This is this role. This is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so sure, that's sometimes for these little like one liners when they're just like, perfect. We just want someone to say like, here's your coffee, sir, in a certain way. But when there's a character, they know that we are actors, they being the casting director. So it's not like they're going to see a brilliant performance that was way off for the character that they imagined and say, no, they're going to go, Oh, she's an actor. She's malleable. She can say, you can tell an actor if they're having fun and are being the character, that's going to stand out. And then that's going to also tell the casting director, I bet if we said to Cole, oh, that's not quite what we were thinking about for this character. That was really cool, but not quite what we're thinking about. Can you try it this way? They know you're going to be able to do that because they can see how relaxed you are and how fun you are as a human. They're not just going to be like, nope, that's totally wrong. Goodbye. Yeah. No, that's not how the casting process works, which, again, is more freeing for us as actors to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to give us feedback. If it's not what they want, hopefully they'll give us feedback. I mean, we live in this era of self-tapes where we literally get no feedback, but for the for bigger, larger roles where I think we worry so much about doing the character right. Yeah. Do the character fun. Yeah. And if it's not right, 
they'll tell you to change and then you change it. Right. Well, and um, going back to perspective and zooming out on um, our career and, and what we're up to, our life, um, rather than approaching auditioning and job searching, basically, as like, I need this or this is going to be definitive for my career, me, me, me. I was listening to an audiobook by Marianne Williamson the other day. It's called The Law of Divine Compensation, I want to say. And one thing that she said in there was, like, really game-changing for me. She said, well, twofold, twofold. Remember, I got to say what my coach said as well. We can't forget. But... um. One thing that she was saying was to be of service to the greater project. Like that's what my coach says. He always, he says a sort of prayer or just like an intention when he used to go in the room. And now when he sends off tapes that the person who is the best fit for this and the person who needs it the most will get the role. And it's like, maybe I'm not right for your project. And if I am chosen and I'm not right for your project, I ruin the project. We don't Mm -hmm. want that. But what Marianne Williamson was talking about, um, being of service to other people in our lives. I had this, I had this realization as I was driving and I was, I realized my audition tapes, not just the ones that get callbacks in book, my audition tapes and everybody else's, serve a greater purpose to casting and to the creators of the project because if they see my tape and it's way quirkier than what they want, all of a sudden they realize, "Mm, we definitely don't want quirky. Maybe they didn't know they didn't want quirky Mm. before, but, but whatever my tape did or whoever, whoever's tape, um, making them realize, "Mm, I want more of that or "Mm, I, yeah, we, that's way too far on that spectrum. We don't want that. It helps them form their idea and it helps them narrow down their process so that they can better choose the right person for the role to make the project the best it can possibly be. So even the tape, in my opinion, now this is how I'm, other people could disagree with me, but this is how I'm choosing to look at all my auditions now that I have to submit a tape because if I don't, I'm depriving them potentially of the yes, that's good or no, that's not too quirky again or no, she's too judgmental or ooh, we like that level of of snobbery or whatever. So it's like realizing that we play a much larger part than we thought and it's not about mm-hmm. us. So anyway, yes. that was huge the other day and I was like, Oh my God, I have to remember to tell Janet. <laughs> That's huge. Right? Isn't it's that amazing? Huge. I love that. And I had never considered it. I, again, it takes pressure off and it's exciting to feel like we're contributing because you send the tape off into the void and you're like, wow. 
great. I'm so glad I spent my long weekend doing that. But to think about the mindset shift of being like, I'm collaborating, like you were saying, with a group of people. And this is part of the collaborative process because they've asked me to audition. They've asked me to collaborate. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Because let's be honest, not every audition that we receive excites us. And I think that the ones that we do really want, those those bring their own special breed of stress because you want them so badly because, like, you're so perfect and this. And, that. and it would be so fun to be that and, and whatever. But um, I think especially for the ones that we don't really want, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I get auditions that I'm like, ugh, another one of those where, like, Not that I'm not grateful for an audition, but it's kind of like, man, I don't see myself as this. So it's like a way of combating Mm -hmm. that self-judgment and, you know, cutting cutting yourself off from the flow before you've even taped by saying, I don't even care if this is something that I see myself as. Somebody thought I was a potential and... My role could in this collaboration could literally be for them to check a box off of, nah, we don't want that. Or actually, hmm, the way she did that was really interesting, and I hadn't considered that before. Mm. And now maybe we want to rethink what we're doing. Because how many times does, well, I don't know about your agents, but how many times do you get an email where they're like, casting has changed their mind and they actually want this? <laughs> After you've already submitted your tape. Oh, there was one. There was one where we had to like overlay singing. And I was really lucky. I had like just gone through and deleted a bunch of raw footage type stuff because I was like, okay, well, I need space on my computer. This is before I got an external hard drive, which I highly recommend, <laughs> by the way. Terabytes, people. Terabytes. Get big ones. And... Um, I had, I I was lucky. I was lucky that I was able to edit out the singing, but they came back days later and they're like, yeah, do it again, but don't sing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, it, because the singing was edited in, I was able to just take that bit out and submit my audition because it was so late at night. I didn't have time to do another one. I was like traveling the next day. I was like, what am I going to do? So I was lucky. That's another lesson. Don't delete things until proper time has elapsed. Until the project has literally aired. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really delete most things anyways. I save save stuff just in case. Do you have anything you're looking forward to coming up this year? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to get new reps in the Southeast. Mm. I... I'm excited to get more auditions of the types of things that I would like. You know, different markets offer different things. And like you were saying, Toronto is gritty. Ohio has a lot of commercials. And while I've trained really hard in commercials this year, and I can say I'm proud of where my commercial auditions are at, I still haven't been picked. I got a call back once, but I still haven't been picked. And I don't know why. I don't know if I'm too weird looking or something. I have no idea. That's another thing with acting. You get very intimately aware of not only how other people see you, like the negative adjectives, but also like what you look like. It's like, I didn't know I was weird. 
And people are like, don't use that word. You're not weird. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I actually have kind of a weird face. And I just didn't know. I had no idea until now. And it's fine. But anyways, there are so many commercials here. And that is excellent and lucrative for those who book. And for those yes. who don't, um, I would like to book more things. <laughs> so wouldn't everyone, right? So moving to a market with more opportunities. I'm sure there are plenty of commercials in the Southeast that I could also audition for. But um, more more TV roles, more film roles, um, especially film roles. And I'm just excited for expansion. I've worked so hard since starting working with my business coach, who's an acting business coach. Um, I just, it was the difference between feeling like I had no idea what was going on and feeling like I was learning how to act and like mainly camera technique. Going back to we're humans and to be able to tap into just being a person for a role, like with training and scene study and whatnot, that's all excellent and super valuable and the, the camera technique. But at some point we've learned camera technique pretty good and you just need to practice. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, Oh, I lost my train of thought a little bit. Um, Oh, all oh, right. Going back to, it's like feeling totally nebulous and feeling like I had zero idea how to get where I wanted to be to going to having a business coach and having steps and goals and getting very specific headshots and, knowing my branding essence and knowing my product and learning how to package and market my product and networking. And it's just like, I have a meeting with her later today with everything with a proper reel. I mean, let's talk about the fact that getting really nice footage back from projects can be exceptionally long the wait can be very long and also just chasing down things. It can be really challenging to get things back, especially in the independent world, especially with students. Love you, students. Please finish your projects. So it's a building process and it's it looks like everything is stacked against you. But when you have a strategy and you can just put all of your things in place, get all your stuff, um, I now have audio and video of me both acting in Russian and just speaking Russian, like a personality reel. I'm about to do one for Spanish. I'm getting special skills videos in order. I'm getting all my, all my ducks in a row so that if and when the possibility of using those things to market myself and prove, yes, she does speak this or yes, she can do that. Or, you know, it's like, it's all there. It's all done. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, have to worry about scrambling it's all together so it's like i'm at this leaping off point as of like yesterday when i submitted all my stuff to my coach and was like it's all there it's all there and now we're going to talk about it today and she's going to say what she thinks ought to be changed and at the end of the day regardless of what she or any other coach will say she's always very keen to remind me it's my business and I am the agent of my business and I'm the, I'm the CEO. I'm the one running this thing and everybody can have an opinion, but if you feel really strongly about something, then 
you could listen to other people and that might be a really good idea to listen to the other people. Or you might have a really strong gut feeling like, no, this is correct. This is the best for what it ought to be right now. And um, I think that's so powerful. So essentially, I'm really excited to take my leap and expand into larger markets. And I'm up for travel. That's another thing, Janet. I think that would be really important for a lot of people to establish early on or as early as they can, I guess, whenever is right in their career to establish what do you want? What's your actual goal? Where are you going to be? Where do you envision yourself? Creative visualization is exceptionally powerful. And where do you actually see yourself? And if you have a goal, but you're too scared to admit it to yourself, then there's mindset work that needs to happen potentially. (laughs) Limiting beliefs out the wazoo. But to to establish a goal endpoint, and while the path may vary to get there, and maybe the goal may change too, that's okay. I think it's really important to have a direction and to be working towards that direction, taking opportunities that lead vaguely or directly in that direction, and to know what you want. For me personally, I don't want to stay in one spot. I'm all about travel and seeing the world and collaborating on many different projects and using all of my special skills that I've collected randomly over the years and meeting as many people as possible and learning as much as possible. I feel most alive when I'm not at home. So that's the goal. But for other people, that's not their goal. Their goal is to be a commercial actor in Ohio and to stay in this little zone. And that's totally valid if that's what they want. But I think establishing what you want and then taking the steps to get there, getting the help from coaches, maybe you need a business coach, to figure to figure that stuff out, I think is really important. Rather than nebulously just sort of spinning around in circles, taking classes, being like, when is my career going to take off? I don't think that that's empowering at all. And I don't think that's a very good spiritual state of being for a career to take off in, in my opinion. Do you have any final words of wisdom? I think mindset is number one. And looking at a bigger picture. Waking up every day with the objective of serving in whatever way. I think that having a a mindset of service, how can you help today? Saying, how can I serve today? How can I help other people? Be it taping that audition and submitting it into the ether, uh, be it holding a door open for somebody, be it giving your student 100% of your attention, even if you're not really that interested in what you teach anymore. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Intellectual stimulation only lasts as long as there's something new and stimulating and exciting. And once you've learned it and once it's been done a hundred times, it's not as exciting anymore. But having that mm-hmm. mindset of I need to be present for this person today even if it's not what I personally want right now, even if you're being a server or a bartender, how can you connect? How can you serve beyond just serving drinks, but serve? How can you be present? Because I think that 
at least in my realm of my paradigm, my worldview, I, I find that serving and being positive and loving and giving and I guess secure in those beliefs and secure in the idea that the right person will get the right role for them and that whatever roles I'm meant to have will come to me. That's how things come to fruition. That's how progress is made. It's like opening yourself up rather than feeling all mad, like, well, I got to go to my shift at the bar. Mm, I don't want to do this anymore. And it's hard, but like, and none of us are going to be perfect, but toggling between those things and bringing yourself up when you notice you're dipping down, having strategies in place to whoop, go back up. That's what I would say. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Cole, for being my guest this week. Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your nerdy love of science with me. Ugh, I love it. And also sharing our nerdy love of acting. I mean, come on, that's a science in and of itself. (laughs) Thank you so much again. I so appreciate you. And thank you all for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!